Hey, AV Clubbers, this is your senior editor, John Tatey, and it's time for another edition of Mom on Pop. This is the podcast where my mom, Bonnie Tatey, weighs in on all manner of pop culture. Mom, are you there? I am. Oh, there you are. Oh, you sound you sound very chipper and ready to ready to chat today. Oh yes, I am ready. So I'd like to do a little housekeeping before we get started. We the podcast is on iTunes now, and apparently people really wanted it to be on iTunes because we got a lot more listeners last time. A couple people even left reviews on iTunes. That's so nice. Uh, I uh, that really means a lot to me. If you like the oh, show, I want to see them. Yeah, well, you, I'll I'll show them to you after the after the show. They're very sweet. And it was wow. v- very nice of people to take the time to do that. So if you do like the show and drop us a review on iTunes, I think that helps it uh, get uh, listened to by more people. And if you don't like the show, well, just unplug your computer and drop it in the yep. ocean if you don't mind. That's right. Mind your own business. Yeah. <laughs> uh, mom, now, Mom, you said you wanted had a little story you wanted to share with the listeners to uh, start out today's episode. Well, I did want to tell this story because it was very eye-opening for me. Um. My mom, your grandmother. Oh wow. You're adding yeah, a whole with, layer to the to the show here. Yes. Generational. She lives in an she lives in an assisted living facility. And my sister was visiting, so we took her out for a meal and afterwards we decided that we should have an ice cream cone at, cone at Dairy Queen. Oh, just a cone. Just a cone. Oh, you got to have a blizzard at Dairy Queen. Oh, I don't like all that stuff mixed up in my ice cream. Oh, wow. Okay. All right. All right. So you're going to Dairy Queen. I'm sorry I interrupted. Right. So we go to Dairy Queen, and we all get our cones, and we get in the car, and my mother started telling me how to eat my ice cream cone. <laughs> and I was just absolutely stunned that I am almost 62 years old. And she doesn't have the confidence in me that I can manage an ice cream cone by myself. I was really crushed. Well, now, what what technique was she recommending? Oh, catch that on the other side, and um, that's gonna that's gonna tip over, and that's gonna <laughs> fall. It's like, really, what the hell? So, I just wondered if I ever made you feel like that as an adult. Not that we need to share our ice cream cone story. Uh, didn't you share our ice cream cone story on the last episode? Did I? I forget what now our private conversations are blending into our uh, public podcast. Um, well, so this I, was the time. This was the time that I asked you for a taste of your ice cream cone, and you said no. You didn't want my big horse lips all over your uh, ice cream. <laughs> Okay, so first of all, that is not how it went, and I have to correct you every time the story. What, uh, what I? <laughs> well, that's how I remember it. <laughs> how I, could I remember it if it didn't happen that way? What I said is that watching you eat an ice cream cone is like watching a horse eat a peppermint. <laughs> well, that's just as awful, don't you? That's terrible. <laughs> And I do not eat an ice cream cone like that. That's just terrible. Well, maybe that's maybe that's why Graham was getting on your back. Maybe you were, you know, doing the old peppermint act, the peppermint shuffle. Johnny, I think that's awful. 
<laughs> well, I, I can't say as you, uh, I can't recall a time where you made me feel like that, where I felt like you were uh, beyond the bounds of mothering. I was crushed. I mean, I thought, really, this woman has absolutely no confidence in me, and she's going to live forever because she doesn't have the confidence that I can go on and live a fruitful life. Well, I guess Graham's trying to set you right before it gets too late. Did, and she didn't spill anything on herself? Because that would <laughs> no, be a surprise. No, but let me tell you this. Let me tell you this story. Yeah. My sister and I went to Maine while she was here because we, we were going to visit your brother, Matt. Mm-hmm. And... She had on this crystal clear, beautiful white shirt, and she spilled coffee on herself on the way up to Maine. When she got out of the car, the dogs jumped on her, and then we ate cheese puffs. So by by the time we went out to eat dinner, she looked like a four-year-old that had spent (laughs) the day at the fair. She was a mess. Yeah, it does seem to to run in uh, the Morecambe family, your family, to spill things on yourself. Yes. It's because we have big chests. Now, you had an issue also that you, we mentioned on the last podcast that we uh, should talk about a little more, and that's uh, playing online games with strangers, which I gather you've been doing? Yes. And now, what are you playing with strangers? Words with friends. Okay, so it's right in the title who you're supposed to play with, and you're just openly flouting that directive. Well, that's a good point. Yeah. But this person contacted me for a game. Should we say who it is? or? Oh, is it a famous person? <laughs> no. Who was it? Bob Barker? It's Scott's mother. Oh, okay. Well, this isn't a stranger then. I thought this was going to be about strangers. Oh, I see. So we're talking about playing games with acquaintances, people who you're not that good friends with. I've never met. This qualifies as a stranger. I've never met her. Well, but you've interacted with her quite a bit. Well, anyway, right, you've never met her, so yeah, she's really on the edge of, of acquaintanceship, even. Right, she doesn't know my sense of humor, she doesn't really know what I look like, she doesn't, she doesn't know me, she doesn't know me, just that I ha- care about her son, that's really all she knows. Right, so, what is, uh, so how did the game go? Well, that was one thing that was felt odd to me, because I thought... What if I beat her? I don't know. If she, is she a good loser? Is she a happy loser? Mm-hmm. You know, I'm a very bad loser. Yeah, you are. So I thought, should I throw it? Should I really try to win? And so I thought, well, I should try to win. So I did, and I won. Mm-hmm. And then I just let it drop. I didn't ask her again. And then she started another game, and I beat her again. And then we started another game. But now I'm wondering, will she judge me on the quality of the words that I use? And what if I need to use a bad word? <laughs> wow, so there's a lot of social games going on on top of the regular game here. So you've, you've got the worried about even making the person hate you because you feel that if you played with someone and they beat you, you would then hate them. Is this what you're saying? Well, I would, I, my feelings would be hurt. <laughs> because they won. Well, you know, because they're not in the room. You know how I react when I lose. Yes, yes. And why don't you tell the listeners, why don't you characterize your own reaction? (laughs) 
I'd rather not. <laughs> okay. It gets loud. Yes, it, it can get loud. Mom will find the uh, finest technicality either in the letter or the spirit of the rules, depending on whichever falls her way, and argue, argue it quite vigorously. Wouldn't you say that's right, Mom? That, that would do. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> okay. That will do. You've got that, and then on top of that, you're saying that what if you want to play a dirty word in words with right. friends? Uh, that would be allowable, uh, uh, but I'm wondering, would I be judged? Uh, because I think I would judge somebody that used that kind of word, an ugly word. Right, right. I forget what game it was, but I used to play a word game that was like Words with Friends, except not, it was a solo game. Right. Words with no friends, let's call it. And... <laughs> I uh, I would play it on the subway, and I'd have people sitting right next to me. And yes, I'd feel uncomfortable, you know, if I had to play something like like dick or or cock or something like that. And sometimes it right. would be a really good. I don't, I, it happened to me twice where I had a really good word to put down, but it was um, somewhat blue, right. and I I went ahead and put it down because I just thought, well, I don't know this person from Adam, so what does it matter? But right. uh, it it did make me feel quite uncomfortable. So I think uh, with a friend, I wouldn't even be able to do it. with a, Not with a friend, but with like this sort of semi-acquaintance that you have. I think you're right. I think you got to keep it clean. Well, that's that's interesting, and I would really, I'd be interested to hear what other people think about that. Yeah. Well, it's tough because I would want to play to win, and I would definitely play to win to answer the first quandary, but boy, the second one's tough. You don't want to have uh, cock hanging out there when you're talking, uh, when you're well, playing with... Uh, in any respect. Yeah, which uh, brings us to our first topic for today, which is this uh, Netflix... Uh, well, it's not a Netflix documentary, but it's a documentary that's on Netflix. Uh, it's called Unhung Hero, and it stars Brian... Sp uh, or stars, uh, excuse me, Patrick Moot a uh, comedian from uh, Los Angeles. Oh, he's really somebody? Well, he's not. Uh, yeah, he's somebody. He's somebody. He shows up on, on podcasts, and he's around. He's a person. Well, I didn't know that. He's a person of minor note, I suppose I would say. And all aren't, right. aren't we all? Uh, but uh, why don't you tell us what the premise of the, of the film is, Mom? Well, the premise is that he uh, proposes to a girl, I guess, that he's been dating for some time, and he does it in a very public place that has a jumbotron. Mm -hmm. I don't know if everybody calls it a jumbotron. Yeah, I think that's what it's generally okay. called, yeah. And do you know what he was at? Uh, I think he was at UCLA, maybe. I'm not, I'm not sure where he was exactly. No. So it was a college. It was a college, yeah. Basketball, hockey game. So he was on the jumbotron with the girl, and everybody was watching, and he pulls out the ring and proposes, and she says no, and runs off. And later, he meets up with her, and she tells him that the reason she doesn't want to marry him is that he has a he has a very small uh, penis. Okay. <laughs> Well, we're going to have to talk about it. This is the movie you I picked. know. I forgot about that part. That's <laughs> the whole premise. <laughs> okay. So he has a small penis. We're just going to say it. We're adults. Okay. 
right. we've already dealt with cock in this episode, so I think we can deal with penis. Uh, All right. So she now this is this is where it starts to get a little dubious for me because he says like, well, one of the main reasons she said was that I have a small penis. Now I I kind of went back and forth on this in my head. At first I was like, well, I don't believe a even if she said that I don't. I'm not sure I believe that that was a reason. And in fact, many of his friends say, because we meet his friends and family, and many of his friends say, you know, maybe this is really just her. It's about her, not about you. Right. But he says it was one of the main reasons. I'd love to know what the other main reasons were, because I suspect they were more fundamental than this. I'd Uh, have to agree with that. So that's, that's the part where I found it dubious. And then tell us what he goes on to do. Well, he goes on to have it verified by some professionals, Mm -hmm. and they do indeed say that he is on the small side. Yeah, yeah. Low average is what one uh, urologist characterizes it as. Yeah. Now, this is where I sort of lost the thread in that, what can you do about that? Really nothing, except that then that is the premise of the rest of his documentary, that there are things that are done here and especially in other countries Mm. to enhance your penis. Yeah. Well, it starts out with him going into this sketchy hotel room with these with these two guys, and this one fellow fills up a syringe with 50 milliliters of I don't know what. Um, I imagine the film comes back to that, but uh, I guess I should say now that I didn't even finish this. I, okay. I was surprised you you recommended this one. It was first of all, I bring it up on the Netflix, and the uh, the thing says it's two stars. This is what Netflix predicts. I'm going to rate it. Now that's the lowest predictive rating I've ever watched anything on netflix because you know you can't completely trust the star system but if netflix is like woof i don't think you're gonna like this netflix right. which pushes anything at right. me uh i was like wow if even netflix admits i'm not gonna like this i'm probably not going to i just i just didn't find well, you were already prejudiced then well i was but i'm just, i'm just trying to be honest with the folks but i uh you know, but then I had you counterbalancing that, saying, "Well, Mom enjoyed it, or maybe you didn't. I don't know." But I made it about uh, about forty five minutes in, but it just felt like it was he was going in circles and and not really advancing the plot anywhere. It felt more like just a sequence of him telling a story to people, asking them what they think. Do they think penis size is important? Some people do, some people don't. And right. that right. just went on forever. It, there's not yeah. much of an arc to this, but I don't know, maybe it got great uh, toward the end. So what did you think of it? Well, it did not get great toward the end. And in fact, I so love a happy ending that this did have a happy ending without any outside uh it didn't have a happy ending in that he finally got the huge penis that he wanted is what you're saying right right but he did get the girl and i thought oh well that's great that's nice but after i thought about it for two for two days i said well that is just crap that is absolute crap what a stupid pat ending that i swallowed just like that and I am a fool. <laughs> which which girl is it that he gets? Not his old uh, fiance, is it? No, no. Is it the girl the from girl, the sex shop? He, yes, the girl for, that sold the sex toys. 
So you are also not crazy about this in the in the final calculation. Then is that what you're saying? It was a little yes. It was a little too tied up in the old pink bow and isn't life grand and. You know, in the end, you still got a small penis, buddy. Uh, you know, why couldn't you just accept that at the beginning instead of dragging me through all this bullshit? Well, it wouldn't be much of a film then. My point, exactly. All right, so Unhung Hero gets a pan. Shall we moved on, move on to our uh, reality fair for today, which is yeah. uh, wedding, <laughs> wedding at first sight, married at first sight. <laughs> Married at first you sight. Should, you should make more notes, John. The uh, funny thing is I have the website right in front of me, and I just can't <laughs> read it. Uh, well, maybe you should learn to read. Um, so this is on the FYI network, formerly the Biography Network. Uh, now, which episodes have you seen? All of them. All of them. Okay, so do, you got into this then. I did. So, I am ready to talk about this. Well, tell the folks about it. Uh, tell the folks the premise for those who don't know about it. Well, the premise is that they did a call for people that wanted to try an experiment that were trying to meet people, perhaps wanted to get married. I'm not sure exactly. Mm -hmm. um, and they got all these people in a, in a room and then told them what the experiment was. And the experiment was that they were going to be scientifically matching people to be married that you wouldn't meet until the marriage, and that was basically it. These four people, a licensed clinical psychologist, a sexologist, a sociologist, and a spiritual leader, were going to be the committee that matched a man and a woman together yeah, to the, be married at first sight. The spiritual advisor, really, that guy. I don't, I don't know what that guy's job is. Well, if we were back in the dark ages, I think that would have been important, but uh, yeah, it's, yeah, so you know, I don't even know anybody that goes to church, so <laughs> so they I, I do like the scene in the first episode when there's uh, when they're talking to all the, telling all the people gathered in this room about it, and, <laughs> and they're all, all running out the yeah, door. people are people can't get out fast enough. And those are the smart ones. Okay, so I agree. This is, I mean, maybe this applies to a lot of reality shows. Certainly it does. But um, I do find it hard to sympathize with these people because I just think it's insane to be involved in this totally. enterprise. It's not the... So they, they get married at first sight. They do, like, actually walk into their wedding meeting the groom or the bride people. for the first time. But, but let me say this. Can I say this? Yeah. That that the advisors all m mentioned so many times, this is a serious commitment. Yeah. Marriage is a serious commitment. So these people are really going to work at this. And I totally disagree with that. Uh, because they're married, they are going to want to make this work. That is ridiculous. <laughs> Well, they're married for at least a month, right? Five weeks, I think it is. Five weeks, right. So, so three couples dive into this. They match up three couples. And that had to be one of the most uncomfortable episodes of all. As the brides walk in and see their guy. And two of them were pretty cool. And one of them almost imploded. 
Right. So the th- of the three guys, one of them, it needs to be said, even though they talk around it on the show, they, they never say the word mole, but this Man. one fellow has some rather large moles. Six. Six of them. Oh, so you counted them. Yeah. Oh, my God, yes. And he's not, you know, he's not exactly magazine cover material to begin with, but he looks like just a guy, except for these rather large, large moles, which is it's fine. You know, I'm not. I I agree. Uh, I agree. I just want to say the first thought that came into my mind was the bolts on the side of Frankenstein's head. <laughs> yes, they are. It's just the first thing you notice. And so oh. people say, like, you know, he's not traditionally attractive, or they talk around it in all these ways, yes. which I find even more, like, off. Like, it's it's gross that they picked this guy. Obviously, this was one of the big reasons that they picked this guy, right? They needed a guy who was, like, not attractive. Because the other ones are at least, like, somewhat telegenic. Um, agreed. Even, uh, totally agreed. And th- again, this guy isn't ugly, but it's just he does have these... Uh, Anyway, I won't belabor it. So I think it's kind of gross that they picked him clearly for this reason. And I think I'm glad it's... that you said that, though, because I wasn't sure if we were going to mention that. Well, I think we have to. And I think it's silly that they that they don't talk about it on the show. I mean, I, I don't know. So, yes, that is an incredible. The second episode, uh, when they actually get married, is incredible. It's so tense. Um, and the the one woman just breaks down uh, because she's not attracted to this guy at all. Not at all. And yet, she says yes. When she said yes, I thought, okay, so they're getting they're getting a a, a large sum of money for right. this. Clearly, right. uh, this is what I think. Either they're not really married, or they have a clause that pays for their divorce. Well, I think they it, have a clause that just pays them. I think they are making a profit on this. Do you? Yeah. You know. It occurred to me, then they went on their honeymoon, and then they moved in together. And it just occurred to me that really what they're looking for is is something that takes time. You know, they're looking for love, somebody to care for them and cherish them. And that just doesn't come instantly. Those are things that grow. It's like a garden. You can't just... You can't just say, well, I think I want uh, tomatoes for dinner tonight and go out to the garden if you haven't planted the seeds and nurtured them and helped them grow and water them. Yeah. It just doesn't work that way. Well, it's interesting because as time goes on, the couples, like the couple that their wedding was so disastrous, they are, you know, getting a little better, putting up with each other a little better. Right. And, then and they seem to be best friends. They seem to be good friends. I I agree. I think that's a good way to put it. But then the couple that uh, hit it off physically uh, on their uh, honeymoon night is now now hates each other for good reason. I mean the uh, the guy in that couple. He's been in the military for most of his adult life. He left right. home when he was seventeen to go into the military, and now he's been in the quote unquote um, civilian world for a year and a half. And he doesn't. He's he's off right he's 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 a little odd yes he is a little odd and yet i think having sex is so personal that's a (laughs) no kidding yeah but that they that she was willing to just you know jump in in bed with him like two bunnies is just that seems odd to me too 
you think it's odd that she she in particular just because of the type of person she seems to be overall well you know she said well he's my husband i'm gonna have sex (laughs) with him (laughs) well that's that's what i find so i find it very invasive in terms of like you know now this woman is trying to figure out a relationship so so she calls dr pepper schwartz who they call dr pepper um i so when i say that dr pepper (laughs) so she calls up dr pepper and they're having this like marriage she's having this marriage counseling session on the speakerphone with cameras pointed at her and i just thought boy this is this is weird and they had the like they had the meeting with the therapist and the sexologist before they were paired up and that that was all uh that was all on camera too and it's just like they have to bear everything and clearly the other thing is that all their like clearly they get uh, a schedule for each day and it's like today you have to build a table because they're all building right. a table at the same time right. right and as we learned in this episode the couples all also seem to have been chosen so that their schedules didn't line up too much um, right and so that they all all one of them is a nurse or an emt or yeah. in every couple there's someone who's working odd hours so they don't see right. very much of each other i think that they engineered the schedules so that they see each other as little as possible because there's only so many things that the producers can come up with them for do, to do and clearly yeah. all of their time is controlled so if they're not together they don't have to shoot it reduces the shooting time Oh, um, I didn't think of that. Yep. So it's less expensive to shoot that way. I think that's a big reason why they had these people have these weird different schedules. I think that was another uh, shrewd but transparent casting choice by the producers. I just, I love that word. I love that word that you use, transparent. It's so, this, this, this is less than happenstance. <laughs> yeah. Right? I yeah. I love that. It it's like this is all natural just the way we manufactured it. Uh, uh, and, and it's manufactured within the minute. So that's the reality TV sort of the production aspect of it, but then they are dealing with all the trappings of a of a wedding even though none of it is quite authentic. Do you know what I mean? Right. And I I I'm sure you remember when you went to Japan with me when we took that trip to Japan with Anna and everyone. Um, I don't remember that. Yeah. <laughs> and well, uh, there you had a tough time. Uh, I did. And I remember one of the things that that was strange was that there would be English words but they would be in a context that you you know that you didn't understand because right. Jap- J- Japan appropriates so much from the English language, That's and right. you know that was illuminating for me to ha- see you have that reaction on that trip because I thought, yeah, it is like I'd, it identified a feeling I'd had before where it's very unsettling when you're in Japan to see these words and to understand them yet not understand them because right. they don't assemble in a way that necessarily makes That's sense. Right. You feel like you're having a stroke. Although, let me just say this. Yeah. The man that came up and made the the, the stabbing motion. Yeah. He didn't endear me to the country very much. Well, no, that was that was the beginning of the end there, but we don't need to get into that. <laughs> My point is that these people now these people on this show are seeing all these trappings of married life, the wedding, the honeymoon. They're experiencing all these and they recognize these as cultural touch points. So they're getting it's kind of it reminds me of seeing English in Japan because it's like yes. I, under, I understand what this is, and yeah. but it's not quite right. And I think that it's very, 
this distorted, compacted version of quote-unquote marriage really messes with their head because you see them start to buy into it. I mean, as you said, that one couple bought into it on their honey on their wedding night. Yeah, you know, that, that really is a wonderful, wonderful analogy. It's, it's really the perfect analogy. Well, thank you. Um, so you you agree, you think that's right that that's that it's, I do that they, it's recognizable yet not right and that's why exactly. it's, they have this wide range of reactions to it. Well, and I think that's what I was trying to say at the beginning in that, as you say, here's here's a wedding, here's a honeymoon, here's your apartment, but it's really just a facade. And I think once you acknowledge that, the show becomes quite entertaining to watch. But you know, you have six people's lives in your hand. To me, to me, it's like it's like a little ant farm. I'm very uncomfortable with it. I have no sympathy for them. Really? I really don't. I just think that. Well, just think what kind of sad people would go for that. I mean, they have to be desperate, sad. I don't. I don't think that's true because uh, Anna has a friend who Anna told her about it. Anna was out to dinner with this friend one night, uh, and she told her about it. And the friend said, "I would do that." The friend said, "I'm so tired of dating. I'm so tired of of looking. Sure, I'd do that." I think yeah. that's the spirit in which these people went into it, and I think they are incredibly foolish. And I don't have I I don't have sympathy for them because every time I watch it, I say, "You would just have to be nuts to get involved with this." Maybe they didn't understand what they were getting into, but I think that they that they, you know, people are familiar with reality TV at this point. They know I how agree. Manipulative but, well, it you is. know, what do you think about the clinical psychologist that is vetting all this? What let's let's talk about her responsibility. Well, all of the quote unquote experts are gross to me because I think they're gross for participating in it too. Well, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, I I'm I'm with you. Okay. Well, and let me just say this, okay? That the commercials were of the ilk of Mattress Wedge and Mr. Lid. So I don't Mattress think anybody's wedge. really very legit. Mattress Wedge? What's that? Well, I didn't write down what it was. Are you interested? Would you like one for Christmas? I don't think Mr. so. Mr. Lid seems more your type. What's Mr. Oh, Mr. Lid is the, uh, is the uh, like Ziploc <laughs> containers, but the lid is attached, right? <laughs> so you never lose your lid. <laughs> Now, that's the kind of thing I could picture you buying a bunch of those. Did you buy some, well, Mr. Thanks. Lutz? <laughs> You're that's the one who buys all the stuff off the Shark Tank. I only bought a couple things. I bought, I bought strawberry sugar scrub, mm -hmm. which is still in the bathroom because, God, I don't know who likes to rub their body with something sharp like that. <laughs> well, you bought it. You well, bought I it. Really, I didn't know what it was, but it's just like oil <laughs> with strawberry powder and sugar and it feels disgusting i would imagine it would yeah and what else did i get the makeup squeegee or whatever it is no the, the that, makeup, i didn't even buy that one the makeup spatula <laughs> they didn't even buy that on shark tank i bought that at the drugstore well they didn't buy it on shark tank but you bought it <sighs> that's true i like it the spatulas the, the makeup spatula it gets all the little lift dribs and drabs out of the bottom of your of your makeup. Mm. All right. So what what so you like this? You this you're the type of person that slows down at a car crash. 
I'm not, but in this case, when it's on TV, yes. I mean, I'm just fascinated by, I, I'm perpetually fascinated, and people who read my writing on the site have, have seen this, by the um, strange uh, artificialities of reality TV. And I think that they're, they're myriad and varied, and it's, it's this push and pull between the producer and the participants to me. Like, this is yeah. how I view a lot of reality TV, is that yeah. they, it's how much do you get to define your own story? The producers and the editors are in control and yeah. how much can you define your own story? The answer on this show is very little, but the the boxes that they force the people into, I find are, are fascinating. And I want to say this is probably the first, because I really believe television. I, um, I'm, a, I'm one of those kids that, that television was new um, and I believed every single thing that was on television and even reality television, it's only recently that I realized how much of it is produced for television, not, not to present the absolute truth. And this show really, really disillusioned me. Really? I just can't even believe that it's real. Well, I think you're, you're right not to believe it. I think you should believe very little of it. But I do think that these, I do think these people are actually going through this experience. I just think that the experience is highly engineered. You know what I mean? And what do you what do you see the outcome? Do you could you predict anything? Would you like to predict anything? I will be staggered if any of these people continue with their marriage. And this is, you know, this is something we've seen on The Bachelor and The Bachelorette too, and other shows like it, is that the thrill and the disorientation of being on camera constantly um, does change your perspective on life so people who are like on the bachelor i think genuinely believe that they are falling in love because they've been through this intense experience with this other person right. and i think you could uh, see it on the on the honeymoon of the couple that you called the the best friends which i think yeah. is appropriate um with the mole fellow uh whose whose name i really should know but uh who cares that's all right um <laughs> that he's not gonna he's not gonna be ever on jeopardy so <laughs> You don't need to know as me. <laughs> the, the, you know, on their honeymoon, I think you could start to see like the wife saying, I think I'm really starting to like this guy. I think I'm really falling in love. Yeah. Now, to me, that is two people going through a pressure situation and bonding over that. Bonding quite naturally over that, but not falling in love actually right. over that. Right. And to me, it's like, this is the prize. I won the prize. I was picked to be on the mm -hmm. show. Mm-hmm. I'm a winner. That's, yeah, I didn't even, I guess that was a big impulse to go through with it, too. Right, because, I mean, I one time took a job because I got chosen for it, and I hated it. What was the job? Being secretary to a superintendent of schools. Oh, this is, oh, yeah, I know this job. And it was, it was very boring. It was very boring. Mm. <laughs> it was boring. Well put, well put, yeah. I I'm, know, I'm, I'm getting sorry. a feel for it right now. Really, it was just like, if I could have crawled under my desk and taken a nap, I would have, but there was only eight people that worked in the office, so. Boy, and who would have thought being a secretary for a superintendent of schools in rural New Hampshire would be boring, <laughs> but apparently. <laughs> You're so cruel. You're so citified. But my point being, oh, I got chosen for this. I'm definitely taking this job. Look at all the prestige and all the, but really, it was stupid. Oh, all the prestige of the, where was it, Henniker? 
Well, to be able to say to people, hey, I'm secretary to the superintendent of schools of four districts, you know, it sounds yeah. pretty... Does it? Oh, shut up, Tommy. <laughs> you, you, you don't, you, you're just trying to twist this. I know it sounds exciting. I know it does. <laughs> to somebody. Oh, I'm all, yeah, I'm always twisting your words on this podcast, and I apologize for it. <laughs> all right. Any last thoughts on Married at First Sight? I'm hating it more and more every week. Right, but you're still watching it. Oh, yeah. So I'm going to finish it. So your hate, what, are you finishing it despite yourself, or do you look forward to watching it? I look forward to watching it. Well, I look forward to watching it because I know it's something good we can talk about, but I'm, I'm sort of depressed at this point with the whole thing. It's only six people. It's a strange experiment, and I think if you look at it from... And I know you're not as interested in this stuff quite as I am, but if you just look at it from the production point of view, I think it's a, it's a strange and fascinating. All right, so so you're looking at it as observing a production. You're not you're not really interested in the meat of it. You're interested in the production of it. I enjoy the meat of it. I get caught up in the gossipy silliness of it as much as the next person. I'm interested in it as a cultural artifact, as as I'm interested in it as this weird thing that gets made. So I'm just interested in how it's made, why it's made, and what it sort of says about the culture that this thing exists. All right. Well, why is it made? Why is it being made then? It's a t it's terrible. It's just it's just an insult to the whole institute of marriage. So why do you think it's being made? <laughs> well, I think you just said it yourself. I think it's uh, I think it's a crass idea that they came up with. Um, mm -hmm. And I think that I think it's made because it's a crass idea, to, uh, you know, okay. and, a, and a clever crass idea that they thought of. One of the things I find interesting about it is the way that they do couch everything in here's what marriage is and learn yeah. about how to make your marriage work. You know, it's supposed to be, you know, FYI is like the inspiration network, they say, right? So it's supposed right. to give you some tips for living your life, which of course, of course it doesn't. They, uh, they say nothing but banalities. But what's interesting to me is that they have this crass concept. They're selling it on the basis of this crass concept. That's why people watch. And right. yet they have to to they have to get it up to some level of dignity to not yes. be absolutely reprehensible right and just not yes. to have people with the torches and pitchforks so i'm interested in the ways that they do that that they take okay. this craven idea and bring it back up to the level of respectability with these so-called experts with these supposedly enlightening interstitials about how marriage works um, all that is is just to make this give this thing the veneer of respectability and i think that's yeah. hilarious and and it's fun to watch them you know, tie themselves in knots doing that the experts the the whole show okay yeah all right all right well i'm going to watch the next episode with with that idea in mind because i need a new way to look at this show yeah, just watch it and think like, okay, why? Anytime you think like, boy, that was stupid or that was a waste of time, just think like, mm, but why does that exist? Why is that there? And I think that it becomes interesting that way too. Okay. And I say this not distancing myself from the guilty pleasures of it too. Like I'm, you know, when the when the couple was fighting in the last episode and the that weird military guy wasn't, you know, he. he 
refuses to show any emotion or to yeah. engage with her in any direct way. Um, I I was loving that just for the popcorn fun of it. So I'm not like Mr. Above it all by any stretch, but I do okay. like to think about it on these different levels. Well, I, I think I'm going to come at it differently now, you know, and I think you should watch some of my dog, the bounty hunters like that too. Okay. Okay. No, I'm kidding you. You would never watch that show. Sure, I'd watch it. Yeah. I'll watch anything once. All right, that wraps it up for Married at First Sight, and I think that wraps it up for this installment of Mom on Pop. Mom, thank you again for your time and your insights. My pleasure. And we will be back in two weeks again with another installment of Mom on Pop. Hey, thanks for listening. Thanks for your comments. Thanks for to those two sweet people who made the uh, iTunes review. That was really nice. We are on iTunes. We're on SoundCloud. I don't know. We're hooked up to all the tubes. So uh, for Bonnie Tatey, this is John Tatey, and this has been Mom on Pop. So long for now. Oh, 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 oh,